wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. They caught all the wild children and put them in zoos. They made them do sums and wear sensible shoes. They put them to bed at the wrong time of day and made them sit still when they wanted to play. They scrubbed them with soap and made them eat peas. They made them behave and say pardon and please. They took all their wisdom and wildness away. That's why there are none in the forest today. Joe, thanks for sharing that with me. You're welcome. I woke up to that message in, in my uh, WhatsApp this morning from Joe. Uh, she knows I love this stuff and I thought it would be nice to share it with, with you guys as well. Welcome to Quirky, yeah. A Quirky Journey. This is your host, Fuad Kassab, yet again. And with me, yet again, is my best friend, <laughs> Joe Witten. Joe, Yay. hello. Hello. How are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing That's great. Good. Excellent. Everything's going well. Um, f- you know, settling into the house really well. Loving the place, loving the Blue Mountains good. and the fresh air and feeling energized and and you've got lovely, good. lovely people you're meeting in your community. Ah, oh, so nice. I got stopped in the Ketumba Co-op the other day, just yesterday, actually. <laughs> and uh, the woman who was shopping there just looked at me. She said, you know, everything in my trolley here is going to cook something from your cookbook. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Wow, that is the coolest cool. thing ever. Yeah. So, <laughs> Love it. Uh, she was one of the well, attendees in our Ketumba seminar. seminar. And, yeah. Yeah. And when we did the seminar for one, you know, basically put a call out for friends. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> I need some friends. Well, you know, you can never have enough, really. That's right. They yeah. were like, well, just be prepared to be stopped in the street. <laughs> like, cool, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was great because like her name was Tara. She was lovely. a lovely person. She, um, she had her daughter there she, who was dressed as a wizard from Harry Potter and she looked really <laughs> cute and... Um, I was there with Sarah and Sophie and they had a, a quick hello to her daughter and to her and oh, it was just really nice, cute. you know, just uh, oh, that's good. good to connect oh, that's, with people I do that you know are like-minded. Yeah, I love living in a small community um, for that very reason. You know, you can just meet people, have a chat and get to know their community. Yeah, good. yeah, absolutely. Although I did, I did mention that at a talk I did and a guy from Brisbane said, you know what, it's not just small communities that do that. He said, I live in Brisbane and I know all my neighbours and we, we have dinners together and we all get on together. And I said, that's awesome to hear because, you know, it's such an important thing to be connected. Yeah, it's, um, you know, what makes us human is the fact that we mm. live together and par- make communities. This is part of mm. our instinct is to be part of a community. And I think when you don't feel that way, you have to look at your health. That's really, yeah. really something's going on with the way that you are feeling that makes you feel like you'd want to be isolated or something like that because we thrive with other people. It just makes us really, really, even the introverts such as yourself, Joe, and people don't believe actually when I say that Joe is an introvert, but she kind of is. She fluctuates, but um, yeah. And she forces herself to do a lot of the public stuff that she does. But when, once she's on stage, she's on fire, but uh, just have to get her out. I love meeting people. I'm not, I'm not shy. It's more just, um, I seem to gravitate towards quieter people. 
Yeah, I don't know right. why I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know either. Thoughtful Joe. people, maybe it is. Thoughtful people. It yeah. doesn't have to be particularly quiet. And that brings us to our guest today. Yeah. Lovely Jude Blarow. What a podcast, Joe. Oh my goodness. I love Jude. I have I I heard about Jude, oh, let me think. Maybe six or seven years ago. Um and she had a couple of cookbooks out and she was, you know, I, I quickly learned that she was kind of considered the whole food guru of Australia. <laughs> and um, I remember when I first started researching um, non-toxic cookware, I came across her website and um, she had this beautiful article on, you know, what to look for in your cookware and um, the photos of her country kitchen were so gorgeous and the, and the cookware that she used was also old-fashioned and beautiful and traditional and, and I remember thinking, I really like this lady. Uh, it's funny how that sort of was what caught my attention, cookware. And I remember sharing that blog post so many times on my um, Facebook page whenever people asked about cookware. Yeah, and you know, yeah. part of her philosophy is to have beauty in the kitchen so that you mm. encourage to actually cook more. And um, yeah. that's something that we talk about in the podcast today. And um, mm. one of the things that um, I personally lack in my life, and it's, um, it's something that's becoming more and more apparent as I grow up, is I'm not surrounded by people like elders for the lack of better word. And this is something that it's so important for someone who's walking a, a certain path in life like I am and like Joe is, is that we need people to look up to. We need people to tell us um, what they've seen over the years because a lot of the time some things are new to us, some trends are new to us. We don't know because we don't have that. We're not deeply embedded in, in the history yet because we've just been around for a few years ourselves. and. Um, we feel so strongly about our message and the message itself is so simple that it carries us through to be able to give you something with clarity to tell you what we believe to be factual and correct based on thousands of years of human life. But also for ourselves and the way that we go on our own journey, we still need guidance as well. We still need advice and we still need to know who to go for advice to. And you know, today having that conversation with Jude has been one of the very rare conversations that I've had in my life who have given me this kind of, um, you know, larger perspective or one that is, you know, stands time a little bit more than the ones that we talk about. When we talk about science, when we talk about things oh. here and there, it's just really, it was so um, touching and refreshing and different and empowering to hear um, someone who's had a journey in Whole Foods that is actually older than, than me as a human being. Like she's been doing this before yeah. I was born even. And this so, is one, one yeah. thing that, like, for instance, my husband will say to me, um, yeah, but how long is this, you know, what you're doing, this is all really good, but is it going to last? And then I look at people like Jude and I go, yes. It's the sort of message that always needs to be shared. And she's been sharing it for 25 years. And, you know, it's not going to, yeah. it's not something that's 
it's, it's not a fad diet. It's not something that's going to go out of fashion or is not important anymore, is not relevant anymore. She talks about books that started her off on her journey um, that are still relevant today. Um, this is all something that we need to be teaching our children and um, teaching our grandchildren, and it's just going to keep going on. We have to keep reaching more people with this message. I think ultimately for us, what we would like to see in this world is uh, a complete shift away from the industrialized uh, food world, the society mm -hmm. that depends on this industrialization and commodification of food and turning it back to what it used to be, which is uh, people who support local farmers and farms who look after this, the soil and the land and the animals. And for people who live in that way, we, our vision is that people who live in that way will be kinder to each other and that they will, um, there'll be less pain and suffering in the world and more love to spread around because of the abundance that something like this creates and the communities that it creates. And now with something like the internet, which is a leveling ground for people that shows us uh, more and more our uh, differences, but also our commonality, if we head in that direction, we hope to see a big change in the world itself. But also, we're reminded that it seems that over the decades even, that this kind of movement is is and has always been like a, an underground. It's been sort of a, a, a back current to what is going on in the world at large. And we still see that the majority of people are um, shopping unconsciously, that they're buying products that are damaging themselves and that come from uh, companies that are damaging the planet. And what is our hope really for this world and our, our lives as we, as we live them and as we spread this message? And to me, I, I have that big dream of something happening to the world and seeing the whole thing change. And I hope that that would be something I witness in my life. But at the same time, I'm not discouraged by, by the fact that it doesn't seem to be as happening as quickly as I want it to be. And um, the awareness that things take, takes a long time is settling in more and more comfortably with me now to feel like I can just keep doing what I'm doing and influencing people that I am influencing at least so that the message itself can, can stay alive. If at the least that happens in the face of this great industrialization process that's taking place, if at least the message of whole food stays alive in a few people and that gets carried across for the generations to come after us, then I'm happy with what I'm doing. Um, that's what's really important to me. And I think after this conversation with Jude today, that's what I felt was, um, made more concrete in me to know that this is something that um, I'm just happy to keep going with even influencing as little a change as I do compared to, to the eight plus billion people on the planet. Is it nine billion now? I don't even know. Lost I think count. it's around eight. Last time I counted them, it was, they were around yeah. eight billion. So, <laughs> so you know, like we, if, we talk if, about that in more depth, don't we? About, that feeling of not being able to make a big change, but then you are making a change in yeah. in your family and in your community and that is touching other people. Yeah, and that's very encouraging. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jackson did say, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. So that's where it's... <laughs>
<laughs> it starts. <laughs> so in the immortal words of Michael Jackson, you guys should start with the, the man in the mirror as you, you already have, I'm, I'm guessing. And I think be content and happy that with every positive step that you take, you're doing great and that you are contributing positively to keeping this message alive. So that's it from me around that topic. But Joe, you've been a huge fan of Jude Leroux and you've like, literally like, you know, she's like your yeah, idol, me, really. Like it, you look. No, she's yeah. my friend. That's, uh, what, that's yeah. what it is. It's like, she's, you know, she took me under her wing about four years ago and said, okay, Joe, let me help you get your book published. And she just, like my first book, uh, it's in a big part thanks to Jude that it happened. Um, she really believed in me and encouraged me and um, was just there for advice and help all along. And I can't thank her enough for all of that. And she has been like um, a mother in the whole food in you know in my line of work and in what I love and in my the things that I'm passionate about you don't always like what I said you don't always find older people to mentor you through that and that's what she's been for me and um I really like she she didn't do it for pay she didn't do it for you know I'll swap you Facebook likes for Facebook like she just did it because she loves helping people and that's that's who she is she's um, she believes in what she does and she wants to reach out and help people. And um, we, ha like, um, I went and did a, a whole food course with her in her kitchen and, you know, I've seen her in everyday life and she's just a beautiful person who lives and breathes what she teaches. And um, we're going to get her to talk a little bit about what she does and her background and she also talks about a program that she has um, that's coming out in October, which is going to be amazingly helpful for people who um, need help knowing where to start and how to be able to to eat a whole food diet in and be able to do it in a practical way so that they can find the time to cook and organize and all of that kind of thing with their busy lives that we lead. So Jude will explain all that. But yeah, she's been a big blessing in my life, um, a big help to me, and I just feel really privileged to know her. Great, Joe, uh, and same for me. And thank you for introducing us. And, yeah, um, you guys, are, you guys are just going to be kindred spirits. I know. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah uh, and, and it, it felt like that already. It was just so easy to have yeah. this conversation. I think you guys will really enjoy the the chat. This is not as sciencey as uh, you know the usual ones that we have on the podcast, and not about gut health or not about all all these topics <laughs> that we talk about. It's a it's a larger picture than all that. And it's really, really nice to sort of pull back and get the larger picture of what it is to be a human being in the 21st century, living in a, in a civilized world and learning to reconnect with yourself. Um, so this is, yeah, a, a podcast for you. Have a listen. You, you're going to love it. Joe, do you have anything else to add before we move on to the sponsors? No, I think, I think they should definitely just listen and get out of it what they need to get out of it. Enjoy. Fantastic. So get 10% off your Solid Techniques pens. So Solid Techniques are an amazing company. They produce formed iron and cast iron cookware, Australian cookware, and they will last you for lifetimes. So um, you can give them to your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, if you believe in reincarnation, 
chances are you will come back and use a solid deck <laughs> expand that you already bought. Uh, <laughs> so um, they're incredible. They're really, really well made. Um, they're made uh, from one piece. So that means no rivets or anything like that that's going to break apart when you use it. You're going to be able to continue to use them for a very long time. And the way that they work is um, they've created this uh, beautiful surface, which is new in the engineering of cast iron and foamed iron. And what it, they have these micro indentations on them. Um, and when you season the pan, which, is, which means when you put oil on the pan and you heat it for the first time, it reacts with the metal and it creates a non-stick surface. Now, this is not like a Teflon non-stick surface. You, it's not like, you know, you can um, glide all over this stuff and the, the egg seems <laughs> to hover on top of it, which it usually does with Teflon. Like, I don't know, some strange kind of Teflon <laughs> surface. Um, Magic. But it cleans really easily. It doesn't stick. And um, what's good about it is it's not going to kill you. So, Yay! Yeah. Luckily, one less. Yeah. <laughs> I always have to mention that because I think a lot of people don't realize that if you if have a bird, Teflon around your bird because it can kill them. So what's it doing to you? You shouldn't be breathing it in either. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't die don't straight away it. from Teflon. It takes a long Birds time to do. die from Teflon. So if you want to slow death, go with Teflon. If you would like to live a long, healthy life where you cook where it doesn't kill you, you can get 10% off Solid Techniques pants by using the coupon code 10QCP. That's 10QCP for Quirky Cooking Podcast or pans or people. And um, you get that by going to quirkycooking.com.au slash solid where you will be taken through to uh, our affiliate Emporio Organico and they will give you the discount there if you apply the coupon code. It's a very rare thing to have 10% off solid techniques pans. Usually the price does not move, but we've got you a special deal. And we'll put the links in the show notes so that you can go in and get them as well. Now, um, this show is also brought to you by another incredible company, called Willida. And Willida makes some of the world's best skincare and body care products. They um, use high, high, high quality plants, which are either wild or biodynamic or organic. And they only use things that are recognizable to us. They've come from food and plants. They'll put them all together in a, in a beautiful, um, great packaging with a lot of different variety that you can choose from and the things that will work for your body type, your skin type. And when you put them on your skin, again, it is not killing you like most skincare Yay. on the market. <laughs> this is where we've come to, ladies and gentlemen. Eating Our pots and pans and body creams are out to kill us. And yeah. we have to fight back by supporting the companies that are doing good in the world, that are looking after the soil health. And you never hear me stopping talking about soil health because we're staring down this kind of great <laughs> epidemic in the world where um, we're turning the world's arable land, land that we can farm and grow food and plants and medicine from, we're turning it into desert through unsustainable farming practices. We lead the, does not support those. They only support the types of farming that will regenerate the land and make it even better and more fertile. And then they will get those plants from, from the beautiful land that's so super healthy and nutrient rich and they will turn it into a product and they will give it to you uh, a you know a good price they're not overcharging for the product mm -hmm. and when you put it on your skin your children's skin you just won't 
feel that kind of uncertainty of death by cream and um, slow death slow death by cream and um <laughs> highly encourage you to try it out um the um coupon code at the willleader.com.au uh, website is quirky journey so you get 10% off your order and if you order anything over $90 then you get free shipping also um please uh if you do go and uh, purchase that product from the willleader website you'll see that they offer 10% off their first order anyway using um in their own coupon code um we'd love it if you use Quirky Journey as your coupon code because that means that you are helping support this podcast through our sponsorship agreement with Willina. So um, they look after us if you use the Quirky Journey uh, code as well. So we put the links in the show notes again and we will move on to our show with the amazing Jude Blurrow. Hello and welcome to this amazing podcast with Jude Blurrow. I know it's going to be amazing because she is one of the best um, advocates for real food and whole food on the planet. And um, I've been helped so much by Jude over the past few years. Um, We're really excited to have you here. Thank you, Jude, for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. I love talking, as I'm sure you (laughs) can. And so do we. And, and, And I just think it's amazing that technology allows us to do more and more of this these days. So I'm in. I'm all in, guys. Welcome, Jude. I'm really excited to have you here. You've been uh, really on my to-meet list for years now because of Joe. She keeps talking about you and she really idolizes you. Even though she <laughs> acts so casually around you, she really like loves you so much. And you've been so valuable valuable to her in her life. And yeah. um, it's just an honor and a privilege for us to have you here on the show. Oh, so thank you so much for joining us. That's very lovely. But, but you know, it's like, it's, it's that... That's a very lovely thing for you to say, but <laughs> I, I think that one of the things, and I'm sure that you two are, are getting a taste of this as well now, and, and Joe, you was with the book before, but it's a real honour and a privilege for an author to be in people's homes mm. and, and to play a part in someone else's life. Yes. And, um, and I think it is, isn't it, Joe? It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's your... Your readers, your listeners, they invite you into their life and and I think that that in itself is an honour. So, it, yes. so thank you very much. It's lovely. But I, but I think that the honour and the privilege goes outward in a lot of other ways as <laughs> for me being a part of, of things like this, which is so exciting. We feel the same. It's, um, it's a big family, isn't it? And, and we feel like... Um, we just is. keep meeting amazing family members we didn't know we had. <laughs> it is, but you know something else that I think is really interesting, and I'm probably a I'm, I'm terrible tangent person as well. One of my talking about it's a family, I, I actually think it's more than a family and I kind of look at it slightly differently. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. of the books that was a major influence on me in my very early days, is a book called Laurel's Kitchen. And it was published in the US 
Um, do you know that one? I'm trying to, I, I, I know the name. I haven't heard of it. Can't remember. Okay, so it was, it's, it's published in the US and that when I was living in the US, I came across it and um, I think the copy I have is 1980, so I was probably there in the late 80s living in the US. And it, it's, okay, so a lot of its nutritional information is very dated now, you know, like cholesterol and margarine and all that kind of crap. But, oh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> you said margarine. It's all right. It's yeah, okay. we'll forgive and, you. <laughs> but it's an amazing book. And there's this beautiful, beautiful essay at the beginning of it by Carol Flanders, I think her name is, and it's called The Work at Hand. And it's about a 10-page essay. And she talks then, and what she's talking about then is equally as relevant right now today in August 2017. Mm -hmm. And she talks about what everyone is doing is or or the the task at hand or the work at hand is we're making a prototype of the world that we want in the place that we live. Mm -hmm. So let's just say, for example, that means I want to buy, it's important to me to buy my food as close as possible to the person who grows it. Mm And, and that takes me a little bit extra working my kind of timetable each week or things like that. But it's like that's the prototype of the world that I want where mm-hmm. food is more locally accessible. And But the thing that she talks about then is that as we all do this, as Fuad's doing that, his prototype and you're doing your prototype and each one of our listeners today are doing their prototype, at some point, those circles start to overlap Mm. and we are building a brave new world. And I I really love that, that we're not only creating a family but we're creating a whole different picture of how we want the world to look like and we're all doing it in our little bits but at some point that's going to overlap and make a whole. That's beautiful. Judith, it's actually really uh, I started off the bat with this topic because um, this is for like a, a young fledgling like myself compared to you in, in this uh, whole food world. And we, we'll probably uh, get to how long you've been uh, doing this work for and give people some perspective on you. But um, maybe what I'm seeing here is this is just really early beginnings for me personally. Joe's been doing this for longer than I have. I've been on the road with her for around one and a half years or so. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm noticing is this kind of emergence of what seems to be like a life mission or a path for me, which is spreading the uh, button. Yeah, that's yeah. And and this is not something I expected. I didn't I didn't know that this is what happened <laughs> in the human journey that you actually get some kind of purpose that is drawn out as you walk the path itself. And um, what I'm seeing is this deeper connection with all the communities that we go around talking to and uh, touching their lives yeah. uh, with a message that's as simple as Whole Foods. And it yeah. um, it's really surprising to me and it also gives me momentum because it seems to be um, a confluence in the ideas out there at the moment. Like all everyone's looking for this. Everyone's actually asking uh, about this information. And even though it's yeah. so simple, it seems to be that there's a lot of education that's necessary. So I'm just really interested to see if this was similar to you, if this played out similarly to you and uh, how your experience has been. Oh, I, 
I think it would be fair to say that I've always walked a whole food path, but I think to a degree that anybody of uh, that grew up in my era. Mm. So I'm 63, so I grew up in Perth in the 50s and the 60s, so yeah, late 50s, early 60s, and I think honestly, and I see this everywhere around Australia when I'm talking about this, women in my age bracket or, or people in male and female in my age bracket come up to me and say, oh, yeah, that was how it was like for me too. Mm. I, I think that was a whole food time. I think what happened in the late 60s in the US, probably the 70s in Australia, it's a little bit later coming to Australia, is we are having the full, what we are seeing is the full ramifications of the industrialisation or the commodification of food, the way we grow it, the way we produce it, the way we sell it. And and it people talk about, you know, printing presses as as being all the, you know, steam engines as, as being really massively changing. But I think that what happened with the commodification of food in the 60s and the 70s has had such a totemic shift that I don't think people really fully understand the ramifications of it. So I think I did have very much a, a whole food early life. My mum is Italian, um, so tells you yeah. I, I, <laughs> food is a big deal in our family and eat, we eat. grew food <laughs> only by the very nature that that's what you had to do if you were going to have food. We didn't grow all of it, but we ate seasonally and locally because, well, that was what you did. There were no other options, particularly in Perth, where you did you only had access to stuff that grew in Western Australia and in the lower half because there was no transport. You, you know, the Nullarbor Plain was gravel. Mm. Uh, train tracks were different gauges. So it was kind of fairly isolated in that sense. So we ate very seasonally, we ate very locally, we ate very well, we ate very simply. Um, we had white sugar, we had white flour, uh, and and God forbid, everyone's quite fine. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of another discussion. Um, there were a lot of things going on at that time, but I think we can probably talk about that a little bit later. What happened for me is I did what a lot of teenagers, oh, well, I'm a hippie, I was absolutely <laughs> a child. I'm a classic. I did. I'm just a flower child I yep. did the whole flowers in my hair mm-hmm. I was a rebellious I'm a, I'm a child of the female revolution mm-hmm. um, absolutely totally um I'm, I'm very classically a a, a a product of that era mm-hmm. and I rebelled against what I thought you know all those things and I at that time so I'd probably be, that would probably, it would probably be 70s, 80s. Anyway, anyway, I was doing other things. I was being a kindergarten teacher and hating that and I was being a um, uh, a fashion designer, which I had a very successful business for quite some time and loving that, but it didn't feed my soul and I really wanted to work in food. and and But I didn't know whether I wanted to cook food and have a cafe or restaurant or the nutrition side, and I was really interested in food and healing. And my mum's a nurse, so there you go, the two Mm. things in my life, food and healing. So at that time I started studying nutrition part-time while I was in fashion. 
and I found it incredibly disconcerting and and um, disappointing, and I understand that now. Mm. Um, and I went to the US in the mid-'80s, and I went for a holiday. Um, I went to New Orleans, which was uh, which was a place that had always called to my soul. And the second day I was there, I was in a bookshop, and a book fell off a shelf in front of my front of me, and it had just been published. And it was a book called Food and Healing by Anne Marie Colvin. And that everybody should read that book. Hmm. It is a Absolutely definitive book of of the whole, as W H O L E, and and energy fields of wholeness and whole foods. Yes, some of it's slightly dated, but it was just like I knew as soon as I saw that book. I'm like, this is it. it just all downloaded. I I <laughs> just didn't want to do fashion anymore. I didn't continue on with nutrition because what I realised was it was really shallow. It was fractionalised. Mm. And I realised at that point that what I wanted to do was take the information that was out there and translate it into food. And this is where I still stand and it's where I have stood since those 25, 26, probably 28 nearly years now. Mm. I want to be translating that information because the critical thing that I think we need to understand is everything starts with the food that we eat everything that comes into or onto our body, what's in the air, what's in the water and what's in the food, mm-hmm. all of those things inform our physical body of, of what it's going to be and what it's going to do. And if you don't know how to translate, you know, it's all very well, for example, to say, well, have quinoa. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't know how to cook quinoa or make it into a porridge like has been suggested, um, it's and and you do it and it's going to be revolting. Your kids are going to go puke. Your husband's going to go, yeah, I don't think so, sweetheart. (laughs) And you've lost your opportunities. So I'm really interested in the area of translation of knowledge into the food we eat. But that doesn't discount that we are a spiritual body also and I'm a deeply spiritual person. And I absolutely believe that we've got to nourish our physical being and our spiritual being and when those two things are working, that's when you have the opportunity had to have most optimum health. Oh, yeah. There you go. Sorry. Getting a- oh, no, we could listen to you all day. You love her already, don't you, Claude? Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, um, speaking my language, because I find as well um, with, with my own life is that my own spiritual journey started unfolding when I got better and I started eating whole foods like in earnest because I went through a, a stage in my life when I moved to Australia in 2001 and uh, that kept going until 2011 until I really started eating whole foods and yep. in that time I'd sort of um, I had become like a complete atheist in my life and I just was completely involved in the physical world and didn't really take any notice of my spiritual being or my uh, my essence as a spirit in life and then that started changing as well in 2011 when I started eating whole foods so yeah. now as my physical healing improves and my spiritual journey deepens there's the two come together and they reinforce each other um, but um, I find that within my 
um, journey of Whole Foods, I've changed minds in my from my early stage to what gave me healing to sort of having like a, a larger picture of it. And yes. and I guess what I'm trying to say here is uh, I, I've now simplified my learnings to just the message of whole food being at the root of personal and planetary healing. So, and that's to me is the, the ultimate and simplest message that I can give as an expression of my life to tell people that if they ate whole foods, then they will heal and their the environment and their society will heal from that as well. And yeah, that becomes absolutely. like a result of, the, of their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just wondering with you, did you uh, experience much fluctuation in your uh, thinking? And has your thinking oh. sort of been honed over those years? And, and maybe give us a bit of a background of where you started and where you are now. Okay, absolutely. And I, I think that that's part and parcel of of the development of, of a being perhaps, that while well, I was certainly rebelled and and I sometimes don't think when we're younger and when we rebel, can I say I love being older. I, I mind you, I would love to have a slightly younger body. Yeah. But, um, even I'd be happy to have a 50-year-old body, but my 40-year-old body was pretty good. Um <laughs> But I love being older. I love having seen a larger lay of the land. Mm-hmm. And it's like sometimes to know the place that you want to live or, or, for example, the belief you want to hold, you have to have looked at all the other places too. And I'm kind of getting to the point that I've done that, not that I'm not still learning. I learn every day and I'm like, oh, wow, oh, cool. Um, so I, I think it would be fair to say that so my kind of, well, path onto the path that I'm on now started in the US and I was a believer in the vegetarian diet. I kind of thought dairy was a little bit bad. Um, I've never been a margarine girl. That just never sat well with me. I just thought that was just, yeah, wrong from the start. Um, But I think what was happening for me, and, and and I can't speak for everyone, but I do think it was a large part of the vegetarian movement of the 60s and the 70s, is I think it was the only way that we as a generation knew to say all is not well. And you had seen in the late 50s after the war this massive swing in the US towards the industrialization. Uh, of farming, uh, using a lot of products left over from the wars mm. um, and, and this war on nature. And I think that um, the vegetarian movement, so we had this extreme swing to the left and then you had this extreme swing the other way. So I was very much a part of that. Um, but what I saw over the ensuing years is that didn't always really sit well for me. And, and one of my second biggest influences for me was, and, and I guess there are three things that have really shaped my beliefs that I hold today. So the first was growing up in the 50s and the 60s. The second was Ayurveda. But as I saw more and more and more working with food, it's what I saw working and at play all the time. And very fundamentally, Ayurveda, from which Chinese five-phase or five-element, Tibetan medicine, Greek medicine, everything is taken from, it's all come from Ayurveda. And basically, it's it's the issue 
that we are um, that everything on the earth plane is formed of natural forces. So that's air, ether, fire, water, and earth. And your earthly body is formed of those forces as well. Um, so that had a very large impact on me in the sense that um, we're all different. There's no one size that fits all. Um, and macrobiotics is kind of to a degree taken from Ayurveda as well. And then later on, another third influence came that really made me question how I thought. And and that was the work of Western Price, which I know you'd both be very familiar with. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I think the thing that I love about the work of Western Price um, is, is it's not the translation of Western Price's work that you see out there all the time, but it's I read his book Nutrition and Degeneration, which is a very old-fashioned book, very old-fashioned talk, but it just was fascinating in that it made sense to me and to a degree, though not completely, really started ringing bells for me in, in similarity to how people used to grow up in the 50s and the 60s. Yes. Um, and so those three things plus working with people over many years and actually seeing what worked and understanding how the body works more um, have really impacted me. So, yeah, those things, my views, have changed really considerably. And and now I I have very clear thoughts on what I consider whole foods to be or what I consider. I think what we're all doing is we're answering or we're asking a question. And that question is, what makes the food that we eat wholesome and healthy? Or you could use another word, nourishing or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and what makes it ethical and sustainable? Because calling a diet vegetarian or vegan is absolutely no guarantee mm. across the entire world and 20 million universes that what you're eat eating is ethical or sustainable. There are much deeper, much more fundamental um, um, issues that are involved. Um, so, yes, I've changed considerably, I would say, um, in, in what I believe the answer to that question to be. Um, and they're probably a lot simpler than I thought as well. Mm. Um, yeah. It's funny how it's wow. your. <laughs> it's funny how, as you go along, you start to simplify more and more with your food. Like I found when I was first trying to do healthy eating in inverted commas, <laughs> yeah. yep. it was just it was very complicated. Yep. I was grinding grains with a stone grinder and soaking things and doing this and doing that and I was spending all day cooking with four kids hanging off me and, um, you know, when I even look back at my first cookbook compared to our second cookbook, the simplicity of the recipes, um, you know, is, is, they're so much more simple in the new book. Yeah. Less ingredients, yeah. um, simpler food. Amazing flavour. It's it's just um, like I've learnt that it's not all about being fussing around and doing all the things. <laughs> it's 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 not. But I think that's also a metaphor for life as mm. well. I just think that I I I just think it's a gift growing older. Honestly, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm, I've said to Fuad before in the last, you know, couple of years, I feel like my life has simplified and I've gotten calmer yep. and it's like you just, things just start to fall into place a bit more maybe. I think so. I I really do think so. There's one thing you said, Fuad, though, that I think is really important. And what I'd I'd like to do is, is, if it's okay with you guys, I'd also just really like to talk about what I think those those, uh, answers are, what makes whole food whole food. Yeah, definitely. But, but, you know, you said a really interesting thing, Fuad, and that's that as you've been eating whole foods, you found that your kind of spiritual journey started shifting as well. I see that all the time. You cannot bring, it's like, oh, how's the best way to describe it? You, nature, the force of nature, whatever you want to call it, life force, spirit, nature, God, universe, I don't know, but whatever you want to call it, I tend to call it life force. Whatever you call it, when you are eating vegetables that are not fake vegetables, so they're not grown on chemicals and and, and fractionalised soil um, and masses of water, so without the whole or, or actually without very little whole force, whole, a life force anyway, when you eat food that is growing in that in in, in in complex rich soil that has the sun and the rain and it grows the way nature it, it, they're meant to grow and they're vital with life force you cannot touch that food or work with that food or eat that food and not be changed absolutely uh, I have a, a writer that I love his name is Stephen Harrod Buno. And he has a saying, um, when you start eating the wild, the wild starts eating you. I love it. It's it's so true. Um, But I I just, yeah, I agree with that. But I think it's also a lot subtler than that too. It's like I really am a massive fan of biodynamic, Demeter biodynamic. um, And if I had access to that, I'd have access to, I'd choose that any day over organic uh, because it. Uh, that you know the life force in that food is absolutely palpable. I think um, a lot of our listeners, and uh, this is something we see on the road when we go and, for yeah. instance, do a demo of making hummus. Um, and people say, "Can I use canned chickpeas?" And I tell them, "Why?" Like, oh. I just, yeah. <laughs> oh, kindred spirits. Said, there's, there's no like if you took a, a you know a, a chickpea out of that can and you planted it, you're not gonna get you know a, a, a plant growing unless it you know it grows some you know cans of chickpeas and then you're in for some good money in your life. But um, <laughs> I, I think you know the illustration of the vital force within food and tell people that we as living beings have to eat other living things too. And that's the way of, of life. This is how it, it always is. That, and um, that when is, we start eating that food, it's going to affect us. Oh, that is such a profound thing. And mm-hmm. um, it's, it comes into that question of ethicality and sustainability mm. as well. That, that question of to eat is to, is to kill at mm. some point. And it's it's where my views on on vegetarianism changed, um, and I um, and I love the works of Wendell Pry- Wendell Berry as well, um, and Michael 
Polan talks a lot about Wendell Berry, and I think Wendell Berry is was said that to eat is to kill. You know, when you start growing your own vegetables, even if you're eating vegetables, if you are going to be, and depending on the vegetables that you eat, you will be killing life. And I think for me, I grew up a Catholic. I'm not a practising Catholic, but I'm deeply spiritual but not religious. And I think one of the great things that I got from my upbringing in that sense was that all life is sacred mm. and and that food doesn't just grow from physical components. It grows from the miracle of planting the seed in the ground and that there's a lot of gratitude mm. to be had for the miracle that is food. But when you grow it, it will involve death at some point, death of yeah. snails, of the rats, of the possums, of the slaters, of the cluster caterpillars, of the bogworm caterpillars, <laughs> the potato grub worm, you know, you name it. Yeah, yes, yesterday I planted an apple tree in, in my house and I killed a worm, you know, doing that. Yeah. Like and just I, I, I used my shovel and then there was yeah. a worm cut in half. I was like... It's that's all life. What happened? I'm, you know, gonna. That's right. It's all life, and, and that's why I'm a really big believer in gratitude, mm. um, and respect for our food, and and you know, just that sense of gratitude for the food that we have. Um, yeah. So Should, yeah, that's maybe what we can I, clarify. I, I want to focus in on this point, and there's. I also want to go after that back to your definition of whole food because I think yep. it's really important to lay that as a foundation for the rest yep. of the conversation. Yep. But maybe we'll just talk a little bit about the ethic, ethics of eating animals. And this is something that's uh, on a lot of people's mind at the moment because of that uh, documentary on Netflix called What the Health, which was oh, sort of... Goodness. You've heard about that. <laughs> I right, haven't yeah. heard about it. And do you know, I just don't watch this stuff anymore. No. Honestly. No. It just annoys, it annoys it so much, doesn't it? I, I don't watch it anymore yeah. because I tell you one thing I have learnt, the prime thing I've learnt from in the last six years, I think, or five years because that's where it seems to be all going a bit crazy, mm. is that very often... What the, they're a lot like our world at the moment. They're not actually really true. They're actually somebody's business. Yes. Um, they're actually someone who, who, oh, I can't think of the right way to say it because I don't want to offend anybody, but generally it's it, people that have got vested interest in, in a particular point of view and a lot of their view quite sometimes is shallow. Now, people would say to me, well, you've got a business too, Jude, and you've got a vested interest. And, yeah. and, and, and yes, that's true, but so I don't know where I'm going with that except to say, look, I just don't bother watching these things anymore because it's it's just I've done a lot of those fights. I'm not interested in those anymore. I've done those battles so many times mm-hmm. and, and over the years um, that I just don't want to do them again. I'd rather just put my effort into empowering people to get good results and to make the changes that will be effective for them in their life. Um, I think it, the whole sustainability ethical sort of argument, um, like you say, I think they throw a lot of um, dirt in our faces with that. 
<laughs> there's there's well, a lot of crazy stuff out there and when you disagree you're like this big bad um you know person we've had a few comments on instagram and you know facebook and stuff that of social media and it's like you say i'm past arguing now i just feel like it's so common sense why can't you see it it's, it's the currency of the world that we live in at the moment yeah it seems to be in no matter what issue you want to choose yeah. is shallowness yeah it, it's not thought out it's whatever it's not- the mainstream is following Oh, oh, well, it's like whatever you can get, maybe more clicks or something. That is just true. That's true. The way we educate our children, the way we build our houses, it's it's very short-sighted. What I would say that concerned me a lot about these things is that oh, I had in my thought that just went just away. No, this is not. They're not black and white. Very little. In life is black and white exactly. and the more that I see it's not just um, they're not just these black and white things there are making decisions on on what is ethical and what is sustainable is is complex mm, very it takes a lot of, of scientific work and and probably one of the best books I've come across well, I do love Lear Keith's book, which I know that you know. Yes, yeah. Um, I love Lear Keith, the vegetarian myth, but probably the book that was that I found even more interesting is a book called Meat: A Benign Extravagance by Oh Simon I wrote, Fairley. I think I wrote that down last time you told me, yeah, and I still and haven't managed to read it. I need to do that. That's a massive book to read, but basically he goes through the whole. You know, okay, if we're not going to be eating meat, how much land does it take to grow the kind? Because whether we like it or not, we're humans, so we've evolved mm-hmm. with, with meat, uh, uh, and that's just sadly how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, some cultures are slightly different, but that's how we've evolved. Um, and, you know, if we, we need protein, well, not necessarily mm-hmm. meat, but we need protein. And if we're going to be... Nuts are the things that provide them. So how much land do we need to grow those nuts, etc.? Basically, in the end, going all through that, one of the things that he came up with, and I probably have to reread it again to be a little bit sharper mm-hmm. with it because science is not my forte, but one of the things that he came up with is eating a small amount of meat that has existed within a closed-loop farming system is a far better um, um, use of our land mm. than than not eating it and and not having access to the kind of nutrients that you get, particularly in animal fats yeah. uh, uh, and um, that kind of thing, and that it is a benign extravagance. And it was kind of really six of one, half a dozen of the other, probably slightly favoured in the way of meat. Yeah. And I'm not supportive of a large meat diet. Yeah. Uh, it's not sustainable. Um, but I think small amounts mm-hmm. provide humans, particularly that the fats um, and fish, provide us with um, the very potent sources of nutrition for humans mm. um, and of which you don't need a lot. You get a lot of bang for your buck. Um, yeah. And, and I think also, also 
it's underestimated the amount of waste that goes when an animal is slaughtered and um, we're just eating the prime cuts and no one else mm. is eating no, that, that all the bones and the, the organs as well. And I think there's a huge room Absolutely. for adding that into our diet Absolutely. without contributing any additional burden to the meat system. Yeah, yeah just... it's, it's, look, it certainly means we're not going to be able to eat meat in the way that we have ate it in the past. Um, and but in a sense, it's very much how we ate meat when I was growing up. We yeah, didn't same. have it all tough. We never had chicken. But do you know also what it worries me as well? Because um, we've got like quite often, if we're not in, in Australia, for instance, we don't grain feed our animals as intensively as they do in America, and that means that we're using pasture lands and um, we're eating animals that are growing on pasture, which come from. Um, you know, the grasses grow from the energy of the sun and the carbon in the atmosphere. and The animals essentially become a biomass of a, a sustainable yep. uh, energy to eat those. But then if we're saying that we're going to be eating a lot of lot more vegetables and meats and the current trends and the majority of vegetables, sorry, more vegetables and fruit, and the current trends in vegetable and fruit farming is monocropping, um, yep. that is contributing massively Absolutely. to the destruction of the soil and it, and um, so so that kind of sustainability issue is, go, is going both ways and um, we it, can't just say let's exactly, eat more vegetables it's exactly right and if you're eating vegetables if ethicality is your stand and you're eating vegetables then you really want them to be organic or biodynamic or else the destruction to the ecosystem and to life and I guess that's where for me I just think all life is sacred. Mm. Um, it, it's no difference to me. And and so if, if we're discussing the issue of ethicality, then there's definitely issues of ethicality with vegetables and fruit that we eat as well and fish. Mm. Like yes. you don't want to be eating farmed fish if ethicality is your thing. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Um, Jude, maybe give us this. Um, I'm really keen to understand your perspective on whole foods and okay. what you currently define it as. Okay. So this is, for, for me, this is where I think, well, I think this is where I am today after many years and it's it, these are the what I would call nourishing foundations and I think this is what makes up whole food. So number one, the soil matters. So they're all like no-brainers. Um, they're all really common sense. So the, your soil matters. Everything starts in your soil. It's just tragic what's happening to our soil and what we're allowing to happen to our soil today. Mm. Um, the food that you eat or the, the, the animal product that you eat is only going to be as good as the soil in which everything grows. Thus, I am a really big supporter of, of organic or biodynamic farming systems, particularly biodynamic farming systems, but I absolutely acknowledge that we will be starting to call them different things like beyond organics or whatever, but farming in, in those kind of ways makes a big difference to the soil. Number two, whole natural and unrefined matters. So what this means is that we want as little that is edible on a food removed and as little that is inedible added back. So, for example, milk, fat is a component 
of milk. It's edible. We don't want to remove that. It's there for a very good reason. You know, I like to say nature hasn't stuffed up and we've just really caught her out because we're so clever. (laughs) Why putting fat into milk? It's there for a very good reason. Um, And the inedible bits that we add back for example, are the wealth of additives. And and I have to tell you, additives are not my forte. Um, I'm interested in food before additives, but I can tell you every time I listen to someone like Julie Edie, who I love, I just mm. think she's awesome. Julie, it's, I'm, I'm just, it, I think I'm ungobsmackable, but every time I listen to <laughs> Julie, I'm like, are you kidding me that this is what they're doing now? It's like it's it's just it's just defies common sense. Mm. Um, so that's the inedible part. So um, and the husk on grain, we remove that because it's inedible. Mm-hmm. So whole natural and unrefined matters. The other thing about that point is the point of the synergistic whole, and I always refer to holistic with a W, which <laughs> spell check always wants to change to H-O-L-I-S-T, but it's the whole. And generally when food is left whole, it, it the components that, that are needed for things to work or to be optimally bioavailable or assimilatable in, the, in, the, in that food are generally there. You cannot break it apart and reform them with some of those bits. You've destroyed the life force it will no longer work. So, for example, fat in milk is there because you need fat to digest the protein, but it's also there because it has your critical fat-soluble vitamins, DNA, that are only available in animal products. You don't get DNA anywhere else. And you might get beta-carotenes that have to be formed into into vitamin A, which is a not a very poor conversion anyway, but you're not going to get those two things anywhere else and you need those two things to absorb the minerals that are in milk so it's like yeah the synergistic whole Uh, number three having good gut ecology matters it really it's it's really critical particularly for how we digest two foods and those foods are some of the proteins we find in nature particularly gluten um, and casein in dairy and it's only been very recently that people were having problems with this and it's pretty much exactly about the same time that you see the westernisation or the industrialization or the massive commodification of, of our entire food supply, mm. use of antibiotics, um, antibiotics massively in our food supplies, um, our obsession with cleanliness mm. and antibiotic wipes and all sorts of things. And stress is another issue there. Yep. I just have to butt in here and yep. say that Jude is the one that got me onto the GAPS diet. So I'm very, very thankful for her constantly talking about gut health. Whenever I thought of gut health and, and needed help with it, I just went straight to Jude and she said, GAPS. <laughs> so thank you, know, you Jude. Not everybody has to go that path. No, but for you, not. that was where you, you, yeah. you can't start healing anything else. Mm. till you get that bit right yeah yeah it's um and i love what you're doing in that area thank you um okay (laughs) eating food that matches you matters so ayurvedically you you 
so we are part of nature as well. Um, our earthly body is formed of natural forces, and um, generally those natural forces are vata, pitta, and kapha, uh, and and generally those body types, you're generally one, predominantly one with a subdosha. And I'm very vata. I'm a poster child vata. I eat a lot. I like my food warm. I like it wet. I like it rich. I really dislike anything cold. I won't even have ice water in summer, and it's got to be a really hot day for me to have ice cream or an icy pole. Hmm. Um, and, and that's just a very vata. Whereas my daughter's very kaffir. She's much more grounded than me. I'm so not grounded. I have to work on that. I'm air and ether. Kaffir is water and earth, a little bit bigger body. She, If she doesn't eat when she first gets up, it's not the end of the world. If I don't eat when I first get up, it's a tragedy of mammoth proportions for the whole of the day. <laughs> is this sounding familiar for one? <laughs> Yeah, um, me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she likes she likes drier, crispy food. She likes it less rich. She's got a slower metabolism. I've got a fast metabolism, and it, it is a recognition that one size does not fit all. And if I had to say, I I always ninety nine or say ninety six percent of the time see Ayurveda at play. Um, in, in what is going on for someone. And it's something that I believe needs, I'm not an Ayurvedic groupie. I, I don't slavishly follow it and I don't recommend people do that. But if you get a handle on that, it makes a big difference. Um, so eating food that matches you, animal fats matter. Animal fats, including fish, so like eggs, marrow, offal, fat, skin, uh, are just like that miracle thing where you get the most critical nutrients for humans, you get cholesterol, you get the fat-soluble vitamins A and D, you get fully formed omega-3 derivatives. So, you know, you can eat all the chia you like, uh, you can eat what you're not looking to do, you can eat all the kale you like or leafy green veggies, but if you think you're going to, and you yes, you are get, getting omega-3 alpha-linolenic acid, but you're only actually getting it in its base version. The things that are really important in omega-3 is the derivatives that are formed from those things, uh, DHA and EPA, and of those, DHA is the more important. They're all fully formed in, in eggs and in all those fats. The, the nature has, the animal has done it for you. So they're, they're just incredibly, you don't need a lot. You only need a little, yeah. but you need some. And then I would say, so I'm nearly at the end of it, sweetness is not a dirty word. And I think that some wholesome sweetness in a balanced diet is not a bad thing. And as I might have mentioned before, I grew up with white sugar in my flour, as did my mum and my mum's generation. And my mum's generation, my mum's now 97, and arguably her generation has, as most of them, have had hard and long lives. Uh, you see the old guy still walking the whole walk most of the time in the Anzac Day, and a lot of mum's cohorts um, uh, uh, died in their 90s. Uh, my mum still lives at home. She, by herself, she cooks. 
she's you know, not as good as she used to be, but it's very typical of her generation. Um, and I think that my, my last one is probably what I am coming to believe to be the most important. And I think that that is the context of your life matters and this is stress. Mm. I think that I've got a very favourite nutritionist who's an old-school nutritionist, uh, Marion Nestle, and so she's an old-school nutritionist, and she's got a great quote where she says, you can't take the nutrients out of the context of the food and you can't take the food out of the context of, you know, how you're eating it. Are you sitting? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you walking? And and who are you eating it with? And I think that the biggest issue, the context of your life matters and the level of stress in your life makes a massive, massive, massive difference. It will alter your digestion. It will compromise your digestion. It will create hormones in your body that are not conducive to good health. Um, And when I look at how I grew up, I think that probably what I see as one of the most now, the really glaring things that they did really right, their soil was better. Food was eaten in season because that was the only way you had it, and local, so it was had a lot more life force to it. If it was preserved, it was preserved, bottled, dried, fermented. Um, but we actually had designated times in society that were accepted that you stopped. So, for example, fathers stopped work and came home mm. at 5, 5.30. They ate with the family. Weekends, my dad didn't work. It was family time. Yeah. On Sunday, we, there was it was accepted within society that on one day of the week you stopped. You went for a picnic. You had a family lunch. You, you know, we went to church. We came home. We'd have roast or we'd have barbecue in summer or picnic in spring. Yeah. We stopped and we functioned as a family. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. It does. It's very rare these days. Yeah. So that's what I consider. Uh, and, and I also think the final thing I'd say that deliciousness is a nutrient mm-hmm. in its own right. I love that. And we have to consider that the soul has um, – uh, I can – there are two things that you can't survive with. The physical body must have food. It's the base of Maslow's hierarchy of need. The spiritual body needs love and deliciousness and joy. And without that, I would argue that you don't survive either. And there's many cases, studies of children when they're very little, when they don't receive, you know, love and touch and, and deliciousness in whatever way you want to call it. Mm-hmm. They're both critical. To me... They are the foundations that form what whole food eating is. So if you want to eat some raw when it's seasonally appropriate uh, and and your digestion is up to it, go for it. But it's probably not going to be appropriate if you live in Norway in winter (laughs) or or you live in the Blue Mountains in winter. You know, your body's going to require more fuel. It's not a black and white thing. Mm. So that's you know, the you you kind of extrapolate from that. I, I love how you um, 
tied in the human being to your definition of whole food yeah. rather than just looking at, at the food itself um, which is um, really that's something for me to think about as well to also have a, a larger view of it rather than what it is the food itself um, I've, over the past year or so I've come to sort of have this belief that uh, we we have one sickness in our world which is that of amnesia and of forgetting who we are as human beings living on an alive planet which provides us with everything that we need but we've kind of forgotten who we are as people as children of the earth and then from there we've created these societies that end up alienating themselves and their children from nature and creating things like monocropping and mines and uh, polluting the water and the air and industrialized food systems and that creates yeah and and then from there we we see like individual sickness taking place in whatever form it is whether it's autoimmune or diabetes or heart disease or cancer that all these things are stemming from that amnesia that we're seeing and i think part of the the reason why we're driven to talk about whole foods is to wake people up to the fact that this is what you should be eating as a human being and taking them back to their um heritage as human beings who live on this planet now um are we truly making a difference. I'm, I'm just wondering this now because it seems that as you feel that there's momentum growing, all of a sudden you start seeing like fissures in, mm-hmm. in the whole, whole food world and, uh, you know, vegans against vegetarians, against omnivores and all that. And um, for someone who's been doing this for as long as you have, maybe you can give us a bit of um, an idea of what we're facing now and if uh, maybe your impressions on where we're going. And is there hope, really? Uh, my daughter always says, Nessie always says to me, she says, Mum, chill out. She says, <laughs> freak people out. Um, I, I have to say that I'm a really big believer in that we work on what we believe in and that those circles connect and, and that we form the whole and the brave new world that we want. But I have to say, and, and that I think that's all we can do, there's nothing, that, you know, that's all we can do, but I am often reminded that it's very easy for us working in this area to, when we go to do a seminar or classes or talk. You've got to remember that the people are coming there at least somewhat interested. Mm-hmm. But then I see the rest of the world and go out to the rest of the world, like if I'm at Coles to get toilet paper or stuff like that, or Woolies or to get stuff like to get those kind of things. Really, I honestly, if you want my honest truth, I think that that's probably tops about, well, I think I'm being generous to say that's 20% mm. of Australia. Mm. And I think what I see I don't think it's just food, unfortunately. I I think I know my mum really despairs at what she sees. Mm. I'm sure that the older generation despaired when they saw the hippie movement and the female revolution, and and we have to think that, that, you know, humans are evolving. But I certainly find myself... I'm trying to be very measured here. I find myself concerned <laughs> with yeah. with what I see 
as in every way I look at kindergarten teaching mm. where, you know, it's just this focus on intellectual development and nothing else and yeah. and 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 daycare from day from very early ages mm. and anything that's not intellectually based is like um is frowned upon mm. i i'm concerned at 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 the shallow and ignorance that i see in so many things like for example I, I just say once again that I think this idea of a raw food diet is just so, it, when you really, even if my cat looked at it, it's just so, it has nothing to any common sense or any shred of history <laughs> yeah. in humans to give it any relevance whatsoever. Yeah. It's like <laughs> we are not making good decisions as a society right now, and I think that, that whether that be in our food and the fissures that we're seeing in the whole food uh, world and that, that word just being used on everything, um, from the television that's been made, from houses that we're building. Um, there, But everywhere you see there are really good things happening as well, these little prototypes. And I think for me now I don't have the energy to fight. I fought those battles years ago. Mm. I had, you know, I fought hard against the GMO battle in Western Australia. I really fought hard. That took a lot of energy. Mm. Um, and in the end, what happened is just devastating. Yeah. Um, but I've done a lot of those battles, and I just, I don't, want, I just don't have the energy to do it. So what I want to do is just to do affect change and and say people would. You know, don't worry so much about all these things that you see out there and telling you yes to do and that, and that you know, have all these Facebook pages filled with all these different pages that you follow saying you're a bad mum if you don't have a raw food, you know, <laughs> like bar or a, or a Nirvana lunchbox or, <laughs> or you've got an Instagram feed where you're holding up a mug with all this stuff frothing out of it. I'm like, you'll be fine with any of those things. <laughs> Smoothie bowls and this really kale smoothies. <laughs> exactly. Don't get me started. On a I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but I, I just think it's, I just think that in every area of life that we, we have lost the lessons that humanity has learned in the past. And I don't know, Fuad, but perhaps, perhaps, humanity is doomed to just relearn these lessons over and over again because have we learned nothing mm. after all the wars that we've been through they just still seem to go on yeah you know my mum looks at everything that she fought for um and and that she saw during the war um like for example my mum was a nurse and her good friend were the nurses that were killed in Singapore. That's not an easy thing to go through. Wow. Um, that were lined up on the beaches and killed. Wow. Um, that's not an easy thing to go through. And everything that she sees that they fought for, she believes now is being kind of thrown away. And mm. I don't know, I think perhaps all we can do is do the fight the good fight when we have the energy for it. Mm. And you two are younger than me now, and I think the good fight has to be fought. Mm. Definitely. But we also have to at the same time say to someone, this is how you can do it. Don't get too stressed out about this. Yeah. 
but no, here's a way to do it. And they go, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can make that change. Um, and bit by bit, the circles get a little bit bigger. Yeah. There was something that I was thinking about a, a little like a few weeks ago that I'm not a very good fighter. I'm, I'm very quiet. Sort yeah. of a person, and and I don't find it easy to, like like you said, it takes a lot of energy to to fight these things and to get out there. And there's some people that are really good at that, but um, you know, I was thinking about because sometimes I feel a little bit like, well, um, a little bit inadequate because I don't speak up as much as maybe I should. And um, I thought, you know, really, thought came into my head of quiet persistence, and I thought, really, that's. That's where I feel that's my job is that's the way I do things is I'm just I just keep plugging away quietly in my own little way showing how pe- how people can change small things. It's not for everyone. Yeah. You know, with yeah. everyone, if there's anything I've learned in life, you can't be everything. You can't. You're you and you, you play, you work out your strengths and you work to them. And And even that does make a difference in the end like like you said you're, you're widening those circles um your circles are touching other people um other people's circles and that's a really yeah. good analogy um and I felt you know I felt very settled once I thought about that I thought yeah that, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing it's different yeah. for everybody it so is it absolutely is and you've got to work to your strengths yeah. and there's a lot to be said for quiet persistence as yeah. well yeah Wow, this is uh, it's pretty uh, emotional for me to be having this conversation, really, because it kind of makes me examine everything that I do and um, also to see where I am with uh, people such as yourself, June, who have really, really been this torch for so long and to see that perhaps this is in my future too, to be like, I don't know, 30 years having a conversation with some young people, you know, <laughs> who are starting this journey as well and to, to sort of give me hope. Um, hey, maybe um, I'll just ask a, a few practical questions and get sure. your perspective on them. Yep. Um, I'm, when people are making the move to Whole Foods and they've come from, say, an industrialized food system where milk costs a dollar and, um, you know, eggs cost nothing and uh, they just want to start eating healthier. And um, they're just their budget is still not ready for organics or anything like that. What What are your thoughts about um, like vegetables and meat and things like that from a supermarket? Okay. And uh, My, how would you guide people to make that transition? The way I do guide people to that is that I I say to them, and I believe in that you want to get your food and encourage people to get your food as close as possible to the person who grows it. Mm. So that's going to reduce your food costs massively. Uh, I think the issue of cost is a little bit deceptive. There are other things in reducing food costs as well. So number one, buy your food. So we're kind of going around the issue in answering your question, but buy your food as close as possible to the person who grows it. Now that takes a little bit of time, but it is doable. Um, so, and you'll be surprised at the things you will unearth. So, for example, when I moved last year, I've lived all my life in a city and I've moved an hour and about 15 minutes out of the city to the Swan Valley, had no idea where to get anything. It was really hard. But over a period of about eight months, in the end, I've just discovered the most amazing things. Um, 
and um, like there's a little local food hub 20 minutes down the road on a Saturday morning that that um, where Jane and Peter, uh, it's it's Peter's parents' house and it's on the Helena River and he grows vegetables on the, on the river flats down there and they're organic and they're cheap as anything. But whenever you buy direct from the person who grows it, not what they're going to a market and buying, but what they're growing, it's much cheaper. Mm. So I'd say that number two, don't buy anything in packets. Mm. Every time you buy things in packets, you'll pay oh, two, three, four times the cost. So, you know, I know, Joe, you're a big fan of source whole foods. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of source whole foods. Buy from a bulk bin mm. or if you can form a co-op yeah. and buy even bigger and buy from the wholesaler in bulk, it's definitely, there are ways around it. Uh, buy in season. Any food, organic, when it's in season, is cheaper. Um, I, I see sometimes I see them cheaper than conventional. Mm. So, but it takes a little bit of working out what's in season, and that's an area that I'm focusing heavily on at the moment. Is 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 what's in season? Um, uh, you know, like on my Instagram or Facebook or my mm. newsletter, certainly in the online program that's coming. Okay. But so that's where I'd start. The second thing I'd say when you're talking about when, when they're looking at their budget, I would say put your organic budget to the things that really matter and the things that really matter are animals. So your, your animal fat, the animals that you eat, um, and reduce your food costs elsewhere. Reduce, your, um, reduce the meat that you eat uh, and, and get good meat and... Things, for example, like eggs. So good eggs in Perth, where I live, are going to cost $9.95 to $10.95. Yet I can extend the value of those eggs with vegetables in a frittata or a fritter, and, and it's incredibly cheap that way. So I extend the value of them. Butter, milk, meat, offal, I think all those things should be organic and that's where you put your budget to and you reduce your food costs in other ways like legume and whole grain meals are ridiculously cheap mm. uh, you can when you're buying vegetables in season uh, uh, and as close as possible to the farmer they can be cheap I'm a big fan of growing your own veggies uh, and in this I'm also aware that people are listening to be this because this is what people tell me and also I'm focusing on in the new pro online program but it's this like <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. It's mm -hmm. a nightmare just shopping. And, yeah, it is. And and I'm segueing a little bit or going on a tangent a little bit because the whole food journey is not a journey that happens in six months. No. It might be two to five years and it might take you a year just to work out where you're shopping. Yeah. And you know what? The other thing I'm tangenting again, do the best you can and then you just give yourself a pat on the back and let go. Yeah. Because some days you're going to do, it's not going to be what you want, and other days it will. It takes time. Yeah. So with meat, before I finish, though, with meat, what I would encourage you to do with meat is I would buy, I never, or rarely as possible, would buy anything cut up. So if you're a family, I would be saying get a half a sheep yeah. or a quarter of a cow. Or something like that. Definitely. It's far cheaper. It's so, and use cheaper cuts of meat if you're yeah. not doing it that way. Like, 
like, well, we're coming out of that season now for, for braises and things like neck. I could make a meal that would feed six with lamb neck and the lamb neck would cost me $6.50. Yep. Um, so there's lots of it's not just a one thing, but I would say, yes, put your organic money to anything from an animal. Like chicken, I would never, a good chicken for me is going to cost me about $28. Mm. I would never, ever buy chicken cut up. Any time you have anybody involved in touching a food, scooping it out to put it in a packet <laughs> or cutting something into a smaller bit, you're paying their wages, their workers' compensation, their superannuation, their insurance, <laughs> the rent for the premises they're in. Yeah, so that's my advice. Yeah, I, I really, because first it's really hard to find truly organic free-range chicken. I mean, that whole industry Depends is such a, a crazy one. Depends right, on state okay. That's the issue. And, and this is the thing with Australia and this is the thing, well, really anywhere really in the world is when you do programs and stuff is that food is, is it's very different in every every state mm. uh, and, and what, Chicken, you know, ethically raised chicken you've got access to is very different. New South Wales is very good. Western Australia is very good. What we don't do well in Western Australia is pork. I have mm. pork local. <laughs> you, have, you do dairy very well in Queensland yeah, as well. I've got the local you organic dairy. Yeah, amazing cheese. Victoria does dairy yeah. exceptionally well. Yeah. West Australia doesn't. So there's kind of swings and roundabouts. Yeah, so just, there are some things I just don't have access to or use. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I think here for us it's much easier to find lamb and beef in New South Wales than to find good quality pork. Mm. Um, there's just a few brands of pork that I can recognize and go, yeah, well, that, this one's all right. Um, yeah. But I, I still find it um, – Anytime there's been feed involved with animals and they're not yep. grown in a holistic way, like what I mean by that is there's uh, this new way of growing animals, which is actually not new, but new new to our way yeah. of living, um, yeah. which is um, where they rotate the lands that the animals are living in and they take them from one plot to the other and then they go from the uh, chicken to the pigs to the yeah. uh, cattle. And then from there, they create like a closed loop of uh, energy Absolutely. where the animals are, are feeding each other. But these kinds of ways of farming are very hard to find these days. Very and, um, hard to but find. They, they are, they're, they're emerging. So there's more and more of them. And, and, really and it's excellent. definitely growing as well. But it's like that's what, you know, we're not going to be eating. There's not masses of meat available out there. It's there. No. And it's a lot more Sorry. expensive. So we reduce that, our reliance on that. There's lots of other ways that we can nourish ourselves. I mean, when I say I'm supportive of meat, it's like we're not meeting meat all the time, mm -hmm. but it's still got a very valid place in the diet. But mm -hmm. it's not sustainable to be eating lots of it. Mm -hmm. um, get what, what, what are you eating today? Can you let Me, us know? What I'm eating today? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I'm <laughs> flying out on Wednesday, so that's a really right. Point because the, but having said that, I think for lunch, what I've got for lunch is I did on um, – I usually go to the market on a Saturday morning and go a little bit nuts when I get home. <laughs> and I've got in the fridge, I made a simple soup. So the other day I'd got stock done. I try and do it every six weeks. So I've done a simple – because it's so quick and easy to do and I've still got some in the fridge. It's a 
chicken stock that I chucked some amaranth into that I didn't soak because I just it was a second, you know, bit of a spur of the moment. I managed to get glorious carrots. Carrots are hard in Western Australia, so my little grower is, is just cropping some. Um, I've got carrots in it, so longer cooking veggie, and then I've got silver beet in, in it and I'll put some broccoli and peas into it when I heat it up again and it's got coconut milk in it and fish stock and coriander because I've got masses of coriander in the garden. So I'm going to have that for lunch. But when I get off this talk, I'll probably have a little. So I, I usually have an eggy breakfast. And this morning I had um, a silver beet is just massively in, in season and cheap. I had ghee, mushroom, silver beet, coriander, goat cheese and egg. Yum. I try not to have carb in the morning just mm-hmm. because I try and reduce my reliance on a little bit because <laughs> to tell you the truth right now how I really like to have my wood-fired um, sourdough uh, bread is as a toasted cheese sandwich with <laughs> cheese chutney. So Yum. I love it and it's been really quite a cold winter here uh, and still is a bit cold but um, so I've, I've had that for breakfast. I'll probably I've been developing a recipe which is pretty well finished now, and I'm, I've got a cookie to have, which is like a banana chopped chip cookie, mm-hmm. um, which I'll have when I get off, and then I'll have that. For dinner, I mm-hmm. I did a – what I did put together on the weekend was a I had some of that sustainable chicken in the fridge. So what I tend to do when I get my chicken is I get it fresh, and that means I can cut it into smaller portions and I can use the carcass for stock. Um so with the portions that I had sitting in the fridge from a while ago, I thought, oh, that needs using. So I actually did a musman chicken curry, which actually doesn't have that much chicken in it because it really was not much chicken, I realised. Um, <laughs> but it's got lots of lovely veggies in it and I'll add the lighter veggies, which at the moment are broccoli and snow pea, um, into that. So that's what I'm having for dinner. Um, you you love cooking, right? By the sounds of it, look, this is something that mm-hmm. you're. I love like, eating. Yeah. to the point. <laughs> uh, but uh, what about people like you know? Um, I think we look back at what's happened in the past 20, 30 years, and how um, it used to be the female's job to uh, cook in, in the home, and then. It was sort of told that we were told that we should be eating takeaway food or food from yeah. supermarkets, and then that skill and art was lost. And with it, the love of cooking has kind of disappeared. And then, through things like I don't know, for better or worse, shows like MasterChef started, mm-hmm. you know, rekindling people's uh, relationship yeah. with food and and seeing that you know it's something that they can enjoy. But we still see a lot of people who maybe still have some subconscious attitudes towards cooking and um, believe that it's not something that they know or love to do or or wanting to do it at all. But now they're forced in that situation where they have to cook for their families and no one's taught them how to do it. And they're just in a hate-hate relationship with this thing that, you know, to me is the most uh, beautiful thing that you could be doing with the uh, life force that the universe gives to you. What kind of uh, advice do you have for them to maybe find a way to love this and to start taking it on board? That's such a great question because 
You, Fuad, love cooking. Mm. I love cooking. But I have to tell you, I'll let you in on a secret, everybody. I don't love cooking all the time. (laughs) And when your kids are younger, it's a thankless, relentless dinner beast that demands to be fed (laughs) every single night. And when you've done it, you spend all this time cooking and it's all eaten, there's nothing left. It's like... What? I'm like, God, I've got to do it all again. So it's actually not always this really lovely thing that a lot of places make it out to be. It is it, the way the way I get around it is that I will reinforce to you, dear listener, that what it is is your Basic need, if, if you want to be well, and we want to be well so we can feel good and live a life. And I loved that you did a Insta post or something, Joe. I can't remember, mm-hmm. where you talked about why we want to be healthy and well. Yeah. And it's like if you want this, then you have to provide your body with the things that make it well. Mm-hmm. And some of those things that make it well, one of the things that make it well is appropriate foodstuffs. But secondly, the other really important thing, and I think this is something that's massively lost at the moment, is you have got to build in deliciousness to the week as well because your body, particularly in winter, perhaps more your spirit, has a really quite high requirement for deliciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, Comfort doesn't food. Mean, it, well, it does, and it's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um and once that need is met, it's fine. Denial is far worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another topic for another day. So for me, I strategize myself around it. Now, one of the things, so in, in, if I can talk about it, one of the things, so I'm finally going online. Um, it's just oh, talk about bigger than being yes, heard. I want you to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry, we haven't got to that yet. It's getting to much for me and doing classes and organising yep. infrastructure interstate. It's, I, I want to be at home more. I want to be around. My daughter's just bought a house. I'm so excited. Oh, that's so cool. And yeah. But anyway, I digress, which I do often. <laughs> um, so where I'm starting with my online class is I'm starting on the program called Get Organised for the Week Ahead. And it will come, it's coming out in mid-October. But the thing that I will say is so it's about strategizing yourself around it so you make the week easier. But the thing that I would always start off with is like this is something that you're going to have to do. Mm. Now, I'm sure this happens in other states, but in Perth, I don't have an option to buy the kind of food I want to eat. It would cost an arm and a leg, Mm. literally it would, and food is more expensive here than any other state in Australia, and dare mm. I say it, in the world. Uh, wow. so I'm not joking. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's one of the most expensive places to eat in the world. And and I want to eat that kind of food because as soon as I stop eating that kind of food, I notice the difference in how my body and mind function. So I'm going to have to do it. So I have to strategize myself around that. But the second thing is I have to do it so I stopped fighting it. So yeah. for me, there are some things that are really critically important. I think a big, my workspace is not always clear. 
but I try and keep it clear and I have a big board so I've got a nice big clear space. My knives are sharp. I've got good cookware which makes a huge difference Mm. but I include beauty. That's really critical for me. Mm -hmm. So I've usually got flowers they might just be whatever's in the garden and or, or, or frondage or herbage or something but I need to have some beauty and I try and bring some grace to that space now mm-hmm. I'm not always successful at it and I have a lot of strategies up my sleeve so like menu planning um, um, and how I strategize that menu planning and uh, I and I, things like loving myself, so I, I at least do portions of things at the big on at, at, when I've got time. So I've got the the silver bit sweated down, so I can just turn that into something else during the week. You know, lots of strategies that mm. that I talk about in the program. But I think having a, a making your space not chaotic and making some beauty there and bringing yourself to the task. Is a very makes a big difference. I'll, I'll just share a really quick uh, thing about beauty. Like um, yesterday, I was just making um, like a hot chocolate for my wife and myself for like at around eight p.m. or something. And oh. I just got got some uh, coconut milk and hot water, and I put them in the pot, and then I added some star anise, a little bit of uh, turmeric powder, and cinnamon powder, and cloves and, um, uh, yeah. and I just and cacao uh, powder as well and I just put it put them and they sort of floated on top and I was just I just stood there looking at them for around like two minutes before I could actually physically bring <laughs> myself to stir them in because they just looked so nice and that's then what I, I love about you for once <laughs> I mean, it was just like it was like a little <laughs> so I, it, it was just so beautiful to look at and then to know that I was gonna get to eat that as well yeah. and experience it in a different way other than mm. the visual itself just to get, take in the whole food was just like such a, a beautiful thing to be part of and I felt so glad to be alive just because I'm making hot chocolate and you know this is a <laughs> an experience of of that is available to all human beings freely really I mean it costs you nothing more than the ingredients to do it and it's just wonderful and what else do we look for in life if it's not for those little moments of real connection with being alive and I think this is the importance of cooking for us is that this is where we we feel alive because that's where life comes into our being so I think it's a it's a big thing for people to explore if they haven't to take oh, in that beauty of, of now. being in the kitchen. <laughs> Isn't that but beautiful? Such, <laughs> this is what it's about. Mm. And and it's like one of the things I, I want to talk about in the program that I'm doing and I, and I and I do talk about is that, that you know, we have to make choices in our life as what really matters to us. Because yeah. I can tell you one of the things that I find now as I'm older is that I can tell you that when I'm probably on my deathbed, it, it's the things that, that where you interact with life and feel alive are generally probably not the material things that you've mm. achieved. Yeah. And and this is partly why I'm making a little bit more conscious decisions about the work that I kind of do um, that take away from the things or the other experiences I really want to be having. Mm. Um and I think that that's, you know, these are not, none of these, it's like none of these are black and white discussions. The discussion about how we 
have our food costs or 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 how we go about accruing our budgets or or how we spend the money we've got or how we make whole foods workable they're all big conversations really fundamentally around how do we want to live our life um i'm a deep person i have to tell you <laughs> which is a bit much for some people but um but but not for us G. <laughs> good, good, nice, but but they are. It's like beauty is what alerts us. Oh, it's just it feeds our soul. It does, and 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 beautiful food. And when food is delicious, and this is where I come back to deliciousness and joy. You know, it's like they are so critical mm. during your week, or or just to. To have had that experience makes such a big difference in how you navigate the rest of the week. Yeah, so beautiful. Absolutely. Um, we, we're one and a half hour into the conversation. <laughs> <I> think, uh, <laughs> we can keep going for a couple. Do you have a couple more days available? To you? <laughs> she doesn't. She's a busy lady. I feel bad taking an hour and a half. Don't, don't. I'm in the working out what I'm actually going to take with me because I hate taking too much luggage and I've got a few other jobs to to finish before I fly out on Wednesday because I'm going to be in Melbourne on the weekend yes tell, uh, for a tell our listeners about that be, oh they sorry it'll be already happened won't it it will be yeah, yeah that's well, okay we still but, love to know about it <laughs> look I think very much I'm doing a um seminar with Lisa Cordoff and in Melbourne and we'll take it to the other states next year but it's something I'm just I think it's very much where I'm at these days is whole foods, whole lives, whole families. Um, But where I really am and is one of the things, can I just briefly tell you about about the kind of logo for the online program? Yeah, tell us about the program because we haven't discussed it properly. I just want to, well, what I've got when people, because it's not up yet, they won't see it till we start launching it just about the middle of October. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it, it, the best way to stay updated with stuff that's going on for me is with my newsletter, which is on the homepage of my website. Um, but when that goes up, the, what the logo is or what the image is that when you get there, it's a quilt. And the, there's different patches in the quilt. So it's like, you know, those little circles I spoke about. I kind mm. of see it as everybody doing their own little patch. Yeah. And then you pull those patches together and you've formed a really beautiful big quilt. That's beautiful. Uh, it's That's so beautiful. I can't tell you. I, it's just such a beautiful quilt already, but that will develop and, ex- and expand. Mm. Um, and I want to get all the classes up there ultimately, but... As you know, they take a long time to do. (laughs) But what I found about doing it is I found that I actually think that with the videos that we've done that people actually get to see more of what's happening and cooking and it's a more intimate cooking experience than when I do classes because they're they're right there. Have you found that? Yeah, and you're in their home. Yeah. Mm. So I'm, I'm really excited about that and we'll do a lot more of those next year. But the one that I'm starting with is get organised for the week ahead because that's, I think, where people are really, yeah. all these issues, you know, like how we bring ourselves to the kitchen, how we make this workable in our busy 2017 lives and the program is 
coming from the physical and the spiritual as well, looking at both aspects of the things that we need to do. So I'm super excited to be getting to do that. But um, it's a lovely medium in which to work. But, yeah, that's my quilt. Mm-hmm. I really am so excited about the quilt. It's so beautiful. And where can they find um, information just to go to your website? Do you want to explain? Well, there's not much information on okay. the website at the moment. In fact, there's really none at the moment for okay. it. Okay, so the just best- sign up to the newsletter. Is sign up to the okay. newsletter. It will also be on Insta and Facebook. Yeah. Um, and they can follow me there on what I do there. But really, for me, haven't got to the point of, of there will be a whole new website for mm-hmm. it. Okay. Um, but that hasn't gone up yet. And you won't see much or you won't see anything on the existing website just yet. So sign up to the newsletter and you'll hear all about it. And that's at um, what's your website uh, oh. URL? Whole, wholefoodcooking.com.au, is it? Yeah, wholefoodcooking.com.au. We can put a link to that as well. And did you also have a book come out last year or is it this year? Sorry? You had a, a new new cookbook come out. Uh, was it last year? Got some exciting news. So last year, <laughs> um, I, I did have a new book, and it's very much that kind of where I am now, whole food from the ground up. Um, and that's kind of really, you know, like what I'm very much about, whole food from the ground up. But whole food baking, which came out a couple, 2013, which has been out of print for a bit, is being reprinted and it'll be out before Christmas. Awesome. That's a good book. It's so exciting. That book is so full of like amazing information. Don't ever think of Jude's cookbooks as just a cookbook. It's like doing a chef course. (laughs) (laughs) Whole food chef. It's amazing. And you know what I've, I've discovered? I don't know if you've discovered this. What I've discovered about doing online programs is that you actually don't have an editor editing two-thirds of everything you've written out. Yeah, that's true. You can just keep blabbing on, hey. <laughs> keep right. blabbing on. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that down by two-thirds. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. Oh, good on you. Well, that was amazing. Uh-huh. An hour and a half. Thank you, Jude. Thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to meet all the, the lovely people but to be able to talk about something that I really believe in. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. What a great first conversation to have with you and uh, looking forward to so many more in the future and um, really to take in your wisdom. So thank you so much for being here with us. Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. I've just (laughs) so loved it and just really enjoyed spending the time with you too because I love you guys. I've known Joe for quite a while now and I love what you both do. Well, we look forward to all getting Thanks together so sometime. Too. Not this trip to Perth, right sadly, because you're going to Sydney while we're going to Perth, but <laughs> we will catch up sometime. You most certainly will. Yeah. Lots of love, you two. Lots of love back. Thank you so much. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.